Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MD. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. It's another True Crime Thursday, and I realized that last week's episode was a little short for us. We usually do about 45 minutes to an hour, so we're going to put in that work this episode, okay? I promise I got you. Let's go ahead and get into our True Crime episode for this week. Today's episode is about Nikki McFadder. I've entitled this episode, Beware. Nikki resided in Charlotte, North Carolina, and she didn't grow up with either of her parents, but her grandmother assumed the role of her parent, and they had such a sweet and remarkable relationship. After Nikki graduated from high school, she decided that she wanted to join the Navy, and she served in the Navy for 10 years before being honorably discharged. Nikki was trying to build a successful life for herself, and she was well on her way into creating the life she wanted. She owned her own home in the suburbs of Charlotte. She worked hard to put herself through graduate school, eventually earning an MBA. She was completely goal-oriented. She was a person who was always looking to see what the next step was that she needed to accomplish to create this life that she wanted. She eventually took a job as a ticket agent for U.S. Airways at Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Many people described her as having good energy. She was happy, upbeat. She was a hard worker. Sometimes Nikki would even be working two or three jobs just to ensure that she had everything that she wanted and needed. Now, she was thriving professionally. She was a very successful woman. But personally, she was lacking, and she knew that she needed to take some steps to ensure that she was able to accomplish the goals in her personal life. Like most of us, Nikki was 30 years old in 2008, and she wanted to have a family. She wanted to settle down and create a life with someone. Now, as I've already stated, you're probably wondering if Nikki's career was doing so well and she was thriving, why was she holding down two or three jobs? That solely came down to the care of her grandmother. Nikki had a sister, LaToya, but LaToya lived in Riley, so she was the closest one in proximity to her grandmother and took on the financial responsibility of taking care of her. Not only was she paying her mortgage, but she also was paying her grandmother's mortgage. She covered her grandmother's health expenses as well because her grandmother had onset 
early signs of Alzheimer's. Being that her grandmother took such excellent care of her in her childhood and young adulthood, she wanted to do whatever was necessary to make sure that her grandmother was okay and lacked of nothing. But this just went along with Nikki's hardworking character. Now, Nikki knew that she needed to get involved in the dating scene in order to, you know, eventually get married and have children. You have to date. That's a requirement. But Nikki didn't take such a traditional approach. Back in 2008, 2009, Nikki decided that she wanted to try her hand at online dating. Now, in the early 2000s, online dating is not what it was today. I would even say that online dating is traditionally like the way that you date now. But back in 2008, 2009, this is just not (laughs) what you did. And when Nikki told friends and family about her plans to, you know, take that next step and online date, her family and friends were reluctant, to say the very least. They were wondering, was it safe? Was she going to take the necessary precautions? And she told them, hey, listen, I'll be fine. I will make sure that I do background checks, all that is necessary in order to successfully date online. After reassuring friends and family that she was going to take the necessary safety precautions to protect herself in online dating, they had no problem hearing about her online dating chronicles. I've already said that she was an employee of U.S. Airways, so she was afforded the opportunity to have access to discounted tickets all throughout the country. So what she did was a little different. Instead of just limiting herself to meeting new people in North Carolina, she decided that she was going to travel on the weekends whenever she could and online date men in different states and cities. And that's exactly what she did. She would say, you know, to her friends and family, I'm going to New York for the weekend. I got a couple of dates with some guys out there in New York. She would travel to New Jersey and Florida and do the exact same thing. I mean, she was living her best life. She was living that hot girl life. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. She was free and she had no attachments and she could do that without any problems. As she told friends and family about this, they were happy for her because Nikki was, as I've already stated, a hard worker. She was juggling her career and taking care of her grandmother and seldom got time for herself. So this was her way of investing in herself so that she could get her personal life where she wanted it to be. Well, one day she was visiting her sister Latoya and she sits her down and tells her, Latoya, you know I've been dating, but I have somebody that I have to tell you about. I gotta talk to you about this person. And Latoya kind of brushes her off initially, like, just like, girl, I know you're dating, you're having a good time, you're living your best life. It can't be anything but fun. But Nikki becomes pretty serious in tone and tells her sister, no, it's nothing like that. 
this is getting serious, sis. Like, I really like this guy. He's totally different than anybody I've ever met. And I think that he may be the one. He may be the one to take me out the game. And as she's telling her sister all of this information, that's very exciting. And Latoya is grateful that her sister has carved out this time in her personal life to finally meet someone. Nikki leaves out his name. She doesn't reveal who this guy's who this guy is. Like, you know, natural what to me would seem like natural background information, she doesn't say. And I don't think that it struck Latoya as odd. Because one thing about Nikki is that she was a little different than most in friendships and relationships, but her friends and family accepted it. Now, you listening may be this kind of person, and it's no shade to you. Or as I describe this person, you may know somebody that you're close to who's very similar. Nikki was the type of person where she would tell you some things that were personal about herself, but she wouldn't reveal everything. She would keep most of those things to herself. Kind of like you would have to get all of Nikki's close friends and family members together in one room to hear all their different perspectives about what was going on with Nikki to get the full story. So Nikki was like this with friends and family and they knew it, but they accepted it. So the next person that Nikki talked to was her best friend, Akilah, and she told Akilah very similar things that she told her sister Latoya, like, I've met this guy, he's different. I think we're going into a serious direction. But she provided Akilah a little bit more information because a little bit more time had passed. She told Akilah that the first couple of dates and times that they had met up and hung out was great. It was phenomenal. But in the last couple of weeks, she said that their relationship seemed to get more distant. And this mystery guy lived in Columbia, South Carolina. And she said, you know, although we're, you know, we got some distance, as in we're in this long distance relationship, like, I just feel like he's distant from me and he's not being honest about some things. But she never really fully expounded on that. But in the weeks after she revealed this to Akila, Akila noticed that, you know, Nikki was starting to be more withdrawn and self-isolating herself, even from Akila. So Akila did what any what, what any best friend would do, or what most best friends would do, a good best friend. She organized a trip to New Orleans. She wanted a girl's trip with just her and Nikki hanging out, an opportunity to like just catch up on life and everything, but more importantly, an opportunity for Nikki to de-stress and kind of forget the problems back at home. Now, Akilah was the organizer. You know, you always have an organizer in your friend group, and that's who Akilah was. And Akilah had been in New Orleans, so she knew all the really good places to go, all the food spots, all the clubs, all the things. And this was another good opportunity because Nikki had never been to New Orleans, so it was going to be a good experience. Initially, you know, 
Nikki wasn't really down for it, but as time went on and they booked their trip and it was fast approaching, Nikki became excited and she was anticipating this getaway with her best friend. Now, they were supposed to leave for this trip on May 15th. And the last time that Akilah talked to Nikki, Nikki was scheduled to get off of work for about three days. And that weekend, they were going to travel to New Orleans. To know anything about Nikki is to know that Nikki was like a model employee. She was very responsible. And Nikki wouldn't just miss work without offering a reason, right? And notifying the necessary people at her job so they know exactly what was going on with her. So she was off for those three days that she scheduled. But on the fourth day, co-workers were expecting Nikki to come in to work. That fourth day at work comes and goes with no word from Nikki, and actually one of her co-workers were alarmed. They immediately called her best friend, Akila and asked if Akila had talked to Nikki and knew where Nikki was because Nikki was MIA. And Akila tells this co-worker, no, I don't. I haven't heard from her. But actually, she and I are supposed to be traveling. She quickly gets off of the phone with the coworker and calls and texts Nikki, but receives no word from her. Well, the trip comes and goes, and she still doesn't hear anything from her. And so 72 hours have expired, and Akila pulls up on her friend. She actually goes to Nikki's home, knocks on the door, does not receive an answer. Kind of, you know, she goes around the house and kind of checks it out and notices that Nikki's car isn't there and she becomes worried. After leaving her home, she goes into the police department to file a missing persons report. And of course, in true police fashion, they tell her that Nikki has the right to go missing. But she advocates for her friend. She tells investigators, listen, we have to file this missing persons report because this is totally unlike my friend to go missing. We had a trip. She hasn't texted me back. I went to her house. She did not answer the door. There is something wrong. She gives them a full description of what Nikki had on, what Nikki was talking about when she went missing. And they go ahead and file a missing persons report, handing off that information to detectives but detectives are kind of slow to immediately get the investigation going but by the time her best friend files this missing persons report Akila, her best friend makes her sister latoya down in riley aware of the situation happening in charlotte and that's when her sister gets in the car and says oh i'm gonna do one better than Akila. i'm gonna just pull up and I'm going a, I'm to a go through my sister's house because I, got to, I have to see what is going on with my sister. So she drives from Riley up to Charlotte and gets the spare key and goes into her sister's home. When she opens the door, she describes the scenery of the home. And she said that it just seemed like Nikki was going out to run an errand, but she was going to come back. Like, you know, she had miscellaneous items around the house. Some things weren't put away that would have been put away had she, you know, been going on a trip or doing something. So she then goes on to grab 
Nikki's computer because she wants to see what was going on. And she had access to her sister's computer. She knew her password and everything. She goes through her email and as she's scrolling, she sees that her sister was active on the dating website. So she then pulls up that website, types in her sister's information, and sees that her sister had been talking to a man by the name of Rick Tarantino. And they had been talking like on the day that she was scheduled to go back to work. So she finds this interesting. She assumes Nikki's identity and she tells this Rick person to give her a call on her number. A couple of minute, minutes pass and Rick actually calls Latoya's cell phone. That's when Latoya reveals that she was checking up on some things for her sister. She doesn't say that her sister is missing or anything. She doesn't want, she wants this person named Rick to reveal whatever he knows. So she asks him if he had talked to her, Nikki. And he says that he had not talked to Nikki in a long time. Well, immediately, LaToya is disheartened because she knows this man is lying to her. So she kind of gets him to finally say that he had talked to her, but he doesn't really know where she is. And she gets off of the phone with him with enough information to call detectives and tell them what she's found. And she gives detectives Rick's information his phone number his name all that they talked about and says I feel like this is where you should start looking because he lied just everything about him was suspicious and although I've looked through my sister's house and there's nothing that suggests foul play this is unusual armed with this new information from Nikki's sister police know that they need to contact Rick they immediately call him and Rick is not forthcoming about the nature of he and Nikki's relationship. But they do find out that Rick recently lost his job at the airport and they were actually co-workers. So they get off the phone with Rick, but they know they need to still investigate him. But he becomes their primary suspect because he was one of the last people to see Nikki because Nikki got off of work and she saw this Rick guy and was in contact with him shortly after, you know, having this hiatus at work. So he was more than likely the last person to see her. But as they do further investigation and start to look into some things, although it is suspicious that he's not outright about their relationship and forthcoming, there's just not enough evidence to suggest that he has has anything to do with Nikki's disappearance. So investigators have to table him from being the primary suspect in Nikki's disappearance. After ruling out Rick Tarantino as a suspect, police then go and talk to more of the co-workers at U.S. Airways. One coworker reveals that Nikki did call her on one of the days that she was off of work. And she told this coworker that she was on her way to Columbia, South Carolina. She indicated that she was running out of gas and she needed $50 and asked this coworker to deposit $50 into her account. 
this coworker thought that this request was odd just because, as I've already stated, Nikki was a model employee. She was financially responsible and she just felt like that seemed a little bit off. However, regardless of how odd the request was, the coworker goes ahead and goes to the bank and deposits $50 into her account. Investigators asked this coworker why would she go down to Columbia, South Carolina. The coworker reveals that she went to visit a man that she called Teddy. And she didn't know his government name, but that was the nickname she was given. Now, the police don't have a phone number for Teddy, but they do know now that they need to go and obtain Nikki's bank records. So they go and get that information. Now they also know that they can stop looking in Charlotte for Nikki. They now know that their investigation has a new location of Columbia, South Carolina. They go and pull the ATM footage for this $50 deposit or transaction that was made from the ATM. What they find on the surveillance footage is an unidentified man using Nikki's car to withdraw $50. But what they also can't see is a clear image of this man's face. They're not able to make a positive ID. In that same footage, they're able to see a car, but they don't know who's in the car. They know that there's another person there, but they can't identify that footage, that footage either because it's very grainy and they just aren't able to make a positive ID. But now they know where to start. Geared with this new information, they shared with LaToya, Nikki's sister, and LaToya is somewhat relieved because she starts to think, okay, now we know where she went. We know that she's using her ATM card. My sister is alive and well. I don't have anything to worry about. Maybe she just lost her purse, lost her phone, and can't get in contact with us. We will hear from her soon. And this gives her some renewed ammo or renewed hope that her sister is indeed okay. Friends and family of Nikki are doing everything they can to work alongside with investigators to find Nikki. So they actually get the community involved, start to post flyers, give phone numbers out to have anyone who knows any information about Nikki contact investigators. Now, one of Nikki's coworkers by the name of Fran Eddings had some law enforcement background, and she said that she wanted to find Nikki desperately because she knew that if they didn't find her within those first 72 hours, the missing persons case would quickly turn into a homicide and invest investigation. And she just did not want to cope with the fact that Nikki was deceased or some type of foul play took place. Investigators now knew that they were looking for Teddy, so they obtained a search warrant to search Nikki's home in hopes that they would find some type of information that would lead them to identifying who Teddy was. Well, when they got to her home, they found a phone number, and they were able to match that phone number to Nikki's cell phone records, and they identified Teddy as Theodore Manning. Immediately, detectives call him because they noticed that Teddy had close 
communication with Nikki in the days leading up to her disappearance. They called him and told him that that very same day they were going to drive up to Columbia, South Carolina to interview him. Well, it was an informal interview. And when I say informal, that's exactly what I mean. One of the detectives drove up and interviewed Teddy in the car. He pulled out a picture of Nikki and inquired, did he know Nikki? And if in fact he did, when was the last time he saw her? Teddy admits that Nikki did come and visit him on May 6th. She traveled to Columbia, but that they met up. It wasn't for a long time. And that Nikki said that she was traveling to go see another friend. And he didn't know exactly where that was or where she went. Armed with this new information, detectives aren't able to keep or arrest him because they don't know if a crime has took place and there was no evidence that Teddy was involved. But at this point, Nikki has been missing for two weeks and they know they need to take a closer look at Theodore Manning. So they obtain a search warrant. Investigators visit Theodore Manning's home and they discover receipts for cleaning supplies, including bleach that had been purchased on May 7th. Simultaneously, while they are searching through Teddy's house, they brought him down for a formal interview at the police department. And upon finding the receipts for the bleach, they inquire and ask, what was he doing with bleach around this time? And he told them that he actually did not purchase the supplies. Another woman purchased the supplies, and he really doesn't know why she did that. He identified a woman by the name of Kendra Goodman, who was 27 years old. Naturally, investigators want to speak to her, so they call her down and talk to her. When she pulls up, she's driving a gold Chevrolet Lumina. You remember that surveillance footage that was super grainy and police were unable to identify the person or people that were in the video. Well, they noticed that the car that Theodore Manning went back to after using Nikki's ATM card was a gold Chevrolet Lumina, the exact same car Kendra drove in. So they knew that Kendra probably, more than likely, had something to do with Nikki's disappearance. So they ask her why did she purchase the cleaning supplies. She tells them that she was going to clean her home. And she also shares with investigators that her and Theodore had a very casual relationship. And they started to inquire about searching her vehicle and she acquiesced. She says, yes, you can search my vehicle. When they pop her trunk, they notice that there is jewelry, women's jewelry in the trunk. And they ask her, is this jewelry yours? And with a blank stare, she just looks at them and tells them, no, I don't know. She doesn't really have... An answer, And this is when investigators know, without a shadow of a doubt, Kendra has something to do with Nikki's disappearance. 
So they ask her, can she come down to the police department to take a polygraph test? And she agrees. Once she's downtown and takes this polygraph test, the test indicates that there is some deception. And this is an open door for investigators to just tell her, listen, you need to be the first person that tells us what happened. What happened according to you? According to Kendra, on May 6th, Teddy told her to come over his house. When she arrived, she found him working on a black Honda. He told her that this black Honda belonged to a friend. And he asked if she could follow him to deliver the car back to this friend and give him a ride back home. She agrees, and they drove to a remote area on Peach Road in Fairfield County. He asked her to wait in a nearby church parking lot, and then he continued down a nearby dirt road. A few minutes later, she hears a loud explosion, and Theodore emerges from the dirt road. He runs back. He smells like gasoline, but he claims he had nothing to do with the explosion that she just heard. Then he asks, quickly, can you just take me back to my house? Kendra says she did not know the car belonged to Nikki, and she had no idea who Nikki really was. Now investigators know exactly where to look for Nikki. So they ask if Kendra will take them to this dirt road in Fairfield County. She agrees. And they found a completely charred car and skeletal remains and a body in the trunk. Now, the skull that they found showed a clear bullet hole in the back of the head. They were able to obtain the skeletal remains and run a dental test, and it was confirmed that, indeed, the remains belonged to Nikki. According to Kendra, she had no idea that there was a body in the back of this vehicle and she simply just followed Teddy to this remote site, and she had no idea what he was really doing in the first place. So investigators armed with new evidence and honestly just damning evidence against Teddy take all of this to him and then ask him, okay, now give us your story because we know. So all this, you don't know where she was, you don't know where she went, she went to a friend's house. We know that that's Cap. Like, tell us what took place on May 6th. Theodore was officially arrested on May 30th, and once confronted with all this new evidence, he started talking and singing like a canary bird. According to him, he told investigators that Nikki did indeed come and see him on May 6th. When she arrived at his home, they got into an argument immediately. He said that Nikki was upset because she wanted to make their relationship official. 
She wanted to take it to the next level and get serious. And he told her he had no desire whatsoever to do that. She became enraged and grabbed one of his loaded handguns out of a nearby bag and started waving it around. In a process to get the gun away from her, he started to wrestle with her. And as a result, she was killed instantly because according to him, the gun went off. Investigators knew that this was just a lie because according to the forensics that was done on the skeletal remains, Nikki's remains, she had been shot at point blank range in the back of the head. It did not seem like the injury was a result of a struggle. He was simply trying to spin this version of events to legitimate to legitimize why she died and trying to justify his involvement in her murder. He also said about Kendra and her story recounting the facts of that day that she was the one who actually cleaned up the crime scene in his home with the bleach that was purchased. He said that she knew about Nikki's body being in the trunk of the car when she followed him out to the remote dirt road. He also claimed that it was indeed her idea to retrieve money from Nikki's bank account using her ATM card. And just for the record, they were able to retrieve or steal $588 out of Nikki's bank account. He also said that he and Kendra were not in any type of relationship. It was a simple friends with benefits situation. So police, you know, armed with this new information, they go back and they address his claims against Kendra. And Kendra tells police officers, listen, I told you guys before that I did not know anything about Nikki's body being in the trunk. The story for me began when I simply drove him out we purchased the cleaning supplies on the way back at the grocery store. While I did purchase the cleaning supplies, they were for our respective households. And bleach is a regular cleaning agent that many of us use in our household. I had no idea what he was going to do with the bleach, per se. And yeah, I drove him to the ATM, but I didn't know whose ATM card he was using. He's lying. This is what I knew. Or no. So as I've already stated, he was arrested on May 30th. And eventually he would go to trial in 2010. Jury of Teddy's peers convicted him of voluntary manslaughter. And he escaped the death penalty and received 30 years in prison. Kendra Goodman received three years in prison for being an accessory to murder after the fact. Takeaway. So I think I have a lot to say and it's probably going to be just a little unusual for you guys because I try to keep my takeaway as concise as possible. I probably don't always do that, but I do attempt to. 
However, today, I think I'm going to just expound a little bit further on my ultimate takeaway. I wanted to make sure that I covered a case on season four of our podcast that really kind of tapped into the nature of technology. Technology has become a major player in our everyday life. We always have our phones in our hands. We're on a computer. You know, we are constantly dealing with technology in some form or fashion. Now, in 2008, when all of this took place and Nikki was attempting to online date, it was more of a taboo issue. It wasn't something that everybody did. And nowadays, we don't even view online dating as something that is taboo or unconventional. We're very comfortable with online dating. But the truth of the matter is, is that as technology continues to become a part of our everyday existence, and I believe that it will only increase as time goes on, knock, knock, the metaverse, the goggles, etc., I just feel like we need to still be careful. And this particular story highlights the dangers. And I think it highlighted it in a probably a real way when it happened, right? Because online dating was so taboo and it was a a unconventional idea to even meet somebody behind a screen. It's like, you know, the mystery, the mystique. But now I think we are maybe too comfortable with the idea of meeting someone online. And one of the things that Akila, who was Nikki's best friend said, she mentioned that what the cautionary tale should be from Nikki's story, what she she wants people to know is that you need to tell people what's going on with you. One of the things about this case is that it was just Nikki's personality to not reveal everything to everyone in her life for whatever her reasons were. And to me, they were justified because that seemed to be a part of her personality. But when you're doing something unknown or even known, You have to understand that evil is lurking around every single corner. It's lurking with people that we are familiar with. And we often think that that danger is heightened with strangers. And the truth is, is that it's just around every corner. And Nikki was probably took some safety precautions and did what she felt like was comfortable for her but I think in a situation where you are doing online dating you need to overshare right like probably overshare a little bit more than what you would think and to friends and family whether you agree with it or not I think it's important to make your loved one friend feel like you're a safe a safe place you know, to come and talk to, regardless if you agree with it or not. Because I think 
a lot of people tend to hold back and not share as much, probably in a situation like this, because you don't want them to judge you. You don't want them to look down on you. You don't want them to think that you're crazy or, you know, like, how dare you be dealing with this guy who, girl, he probably got some other girls down there. You know, that's probably what our homegirls would have said, you know, um, and I by far don't think it, it it's her fault. I think that Nikki did everything that she felt like she could do and that she was supposed to do in the situation and vice versa for her friends and family. It just seemed that that not telling, you know, certain pieces and certain aspects of her life was very common. So you're probably saying, okay, Steph, what is your takeaway? Get to it, girl. I'll wrap it up. My takeaway is that because we are living in an, a technology-driven culture, we have to be, you know, more responsible to ensure that we are letting those around us know what is going on with us so that you can have that sounding board to be able to evaluate some different things and maybe possibly oversharing will keep you from danger and one of the things that her friend said was I just want to prevent another story like Nikki's happening because this was preventable. And I agree, it was. And it's just so unfortunate because I think Nikki was in this position where she just wanted to settle down and she thought she met a guy that, you know, was different. But at the end of the day, he showed her, he was able to mask who he truly was behind the screen mask his intentions, mask the other women that he had involved. And ultimately, he ruined lives. Now, we can sit up here and go back and forth and debate on how much did Kendra know? Did she know? Did she not know? I was satisfied to know that she got some time as a result of her involvement. Because she, whether she knew or not, she knew that something was off and strange about that entire interaction that she had with him on that dirt road. So to me, that's enough to hold you accountable for not go going and reporting that to, to the police officers. You understand? So I'm glad that she was in a position where she had to go and serve some time. And if she was further involved in that, She'll get her just desserts because it always happens like that. And in regards to Theodore Manning, well, Theodore Manning had a very checkered past with women. In 2008, he was charged with domestic violence against a woman that he was living with. Um, Now, mind you, Nikki went missing in 2009, so this was before, but it shows a pattern of him being violent towards women and this guy just wanted to be a player you know um he wanted to be a player and deal you know and do whatever he wanted to do and while we are unsure of what happened exactly um with his interaction the last interaction that he had with Nikki before he murdered her the thing that we do know is that he absolutely murdered her 
it was not the scenario that he told investigators and that he tried to perpetrate within his trial. So all of that to say, if you are engaging in online dating, which online dating now is not even what it was reserved to in 2008, it is now online dating is for Instagram, it's for Facebook, it's for Snapchat, you know, and then you can go to all of these varieties of Match.com's Christian Mingles, do you want a cowboy.com? All the things, right? So, like, it has expanded into social media platforms, and it's very ca- it's a casual thing now. It's, a, it's traditional. That's just how you meet people now. But I want to send out a cautionary tale of Nikki McFadder because it can end tragically. And I know she did not enter into that situation thinking that it would go this far. But I think that we all have to be aware in every situation, this is not just reserved to online dating. Evil's lurking. It's out there. So please, please, overshare, tell the people in your life what's going on, and be careful. Rest in peace. To Nikki McFadder. I hope that you guys have enjoyed this week's episode. It is the typical length that we are used to here on Murdering the Black. The one thing that I can say is that you guys are so real and I love it. Because on last week's poll, you were like... Yeah, Steph, we knew it was the, we knew it was the wife the whole time. Y'all are some experts out there, man. I really feel like I need to just organize a team of y'all and have y'all consult on my life. Like, cause y'all be knowing stuff, I don't know. Okay. I mean, and maybe that was last week's case was a little bit more obvious than what I put on. I think that when you're actively researching the case though, you develop your own theories before you get to the end. So That was my thing. But as always, I appreciate you guys voting in our poll, um, participating in our questions that we ask on every episode here on Murder in the Black. So share our episodes if you care. We want to make sure that you guys rate and review. If you really enjoy us, give us a five-star rating. And then you can always drop a line and tell us exactly what you like about our podcast. The other thing I want to encourage you guys to do is to vote in our poll this week. And the reason why I say I want to hear from you this week is because I want to know if you guys are interested in hearing about more cyber crimes, more cyber true crimes here on Murder in the Black. As we're ending our fourth season, I want to make sure that I'm covering things that you guys are interested in. And this particular case was interesting to me, which is why I told it. But if you want to hear more about cyber crimes that you may or may not be familiar with, I definitely want to cover that. So make sure you vote in our poll this week. As always, if you're an Apple Podcast listener, iHeartRadio listener, or you just listen to us on another platform outside of Spotify, I just want to encourage you to get on Spotify and just vote in our poll so that your voice can be heard. 
Also, engage in the, the uh, I want to say discussion question. Oh my God, I'm thinking about school way too much. But if you normally participate in our questions that we ask, this will be a specific question to this week's episode. And I always want to hear from you guys. So that's why I encourage you at the very end to, you know, indulge me for a minute. So that is it for this week, guys. I'm so happy to see True Crime Thursday and not just to share with you guys, but your girl is tired. I am tired, I'm exhausted, and I'm happy to see another end of the week so that I can find some type of time to relax. So if you're hearing this, say a prayer for Steph. Pray for Steph. Hashtag pray for Steph. Until next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black.